Shalom, my friends. Jim Martin once again coming to you from Lake Jackson, Texas, praying that you're very much aware of the Lord's presence and activity, not only in your life, but in the world around you. Today we complete our study of 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, Preparing for the Future. This is part 3, and I've entitled this, Sharpen Your, Your Sword. And uh, th this refers, of course, to the sword of the Spirit, the everlasting Word of God. Reach and get your copy of Scripture in whatever translation, whatever language speaks to your heart the best. And let's embark upon this final uh, leg of our study of preparing for the future. Because troublesome times are coming. And we need to not only prepare ourselves, we need to arm ourselves with the spiritual armor that is going to be effective against our enemy. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name, and I thank you for the facility and the uh, wherewithal that you've given us to embark on this study. Now, Father, as we do so, we pray for your Holy Spirit uh, to take control of my words, my thoughts, everything else. Uh, and I also pray, Lord, that your Spirit would be very mighty in, in each one of my hearers today, uh, that they would surrender themselves fully to you and receive from you full measure of grace that you are pouring out on each one of us right now. Now, Father, uh, we lay all this at your feet. We thank you for the blessings that you poured out upon us and for the grace to do this ministry. These things we ask with thanksgiving in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We've talked about in weeks past, my friend, the fact that troublesome times are here and they're going to get worse. Is there anything you can do about it? Yes, you can prepare yourself. You can prepare your family. You can get ready for those inevitable times that the Bible talks about. And Jesus himself warned us of these things before he presented himself for sacrifice on our behalf and before he went back home to the Father in heaven, he told us that these things are going to happen, but that we should be, be uh, well, in one translation it says, be of good cheer. Uh, I don't think it's exactly what it means. It means take courage. Though in the world you have tribulation and trouble, you be courageous, be brave. Why? Because he has overcome the world. And that and that alone is our our great reason for having courage and being hopeful. Certainly nothing in this world makes us gives us any kind of hope, does it? But certainly trust in, in God and His promises and in His Word uh, does give us a plentiful reason for hope and for courage. So, have you got your copy of Scripture? Open to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 here, because this warns us of the same issues that Paul was dealing with when he was writing to his disciple Timothy, who was, we believe at this time, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and discipling those believers, most of whom were brand new to the faith, though some were becoming more and more mature. And he was beginning to see that false teachers 
and false doctrines were starting to creep into the church. Uh, even some people who were stalwart church members were either deceived or they were part of the deception. And they were teaching false doctrines. And we won't rehearse all that that we've talked about in previous weeks. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14 in the New American Standard translation of the English Bible. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Very well, so Paul sternly warns Timothy that in the last days, even in those days, 1950 years ago, Evil men were going to come in. Imposters. And the Greek word that's used here is the same word that's used to describe magicians and practicers of the occult. Not that he's equating these necessarily and categorically with such men, but he's saying he's falling into the same realm and same dominion of evil. That these are evil men. They're coming in. What are they doing? They are proceeding, number one, from, from uh, bad to worse. Their teaching is not going to get more accurate without correction and without discipline from the spiritual leaders of that group. They're going to pr- proceed from bad to worse, be- deceiving and being deceived. De- deceiving and being deceived. People can quote scripture all day long, and they can, I mean, Satan did that, right? When, when he deceived and when he was tempting the Lord Jesus in the desert, back in Matthew chapter 4. Satan came up with scripture. Uh, of course, he always takes it out of context, and he always tries to misapply it. But also, of course, Jesus is the one that gave all that, and we'll see that subsequently here in our study. So we don't have to worry about those things. We just have to be aware that that's what he does. He will take scripture. Uh, Remember what he did with Eve in the garden. He said, really? Has God said that? And what he means to do is make us to doubt the, uh, number one, the, the, the truthfulness of God. And number two, his motives. Does he really want to cheat you out of all this good stuff? Well, my friends, we can, I mean, we can't defeat him. We can't outsmart him. We just have to, to rely on God's holy word. Paul wrote to the uh, church in Ephesus, again, uh, pastored by his disciple Timothy. And over in, in chapter 6 of the Ephesian letter, he talks about spiritual warfare. And in verse 17, he says, You put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon in that soldier armor, rather, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so he says, you take that up. You, you take it up and you become skilled with it. No soldier is going to go out to battle without really being familiar with his weapon. Uh, I was trained in the United States military. I was trained early on on the importance of keeping your weapon clean, uh, keeping it fully operational. If I had been fighting with a sword, I would have been trained on how to hone the edges of that sword to keep it very sharp. And that's not something you do once and then put it away and forget about it. That's something you do every day. You sharpen that sword, you keep it clean, you, you buff off any rust spots or dirt spots, and you keep it shiny and clean because you want to be able to depend on that weapon. And our, our firearms, our rifles, and our pistols, we had to clean those every day, assemble them and, and disassemble them and reassemble them, check them for functionality, make sure they were clean and ready to, to use, employ against any enemy. And so that's what we must do, my friends. That's exactly what we must do. We must be very familiar with the Word of God. And notice that that uh, Paul writing Timothy says, This is not new to you. You've been trained since childhood, not only exposed, but you've been discipled. You've been taught the, the Holy Scriptures, uh, the Holy Writings. And of course, in Timothy and Paul's day, that was what we know as the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But gee, that's okay, because Jesus says, you studied the Scriptures, referring to the same, uh, the Torah and the, the prophets and the, and the writings, the Tanakh, Tanakh rather, uh, of the, the, the Torah and the Tanakh. You studied those, because in them, they speak of me, Jesus says. So don't worry about the fact that... Uh, Timothy and Paul and, and the other uh, first century disciples primarily just had the Old Testament, but they also had the inspired teaching uh, of the apostles, recalling by the power of the Holy Spirit the words that Jesus spoke. And so we know that, that when they spoke God's word, it was God-breathed. Okay, so Timothy did not just drop in off the turnip truck, as we say here in the U.S., uh, and start reading the Bible. He had been taught that from childhood. And you parents and grandparents, uh, I pray that all along you have been teaching your children and that you've been reinforcing that teaching, you uh, grandmas, grandpas, you reinforce that with life experiences and, and, and frequent references to what the Word of God says. You equip these children so that they're growing up having God's Word engrafted into their soul, engrafted uh, in, in, in into their thought processes and into their reasoning processes so that they'll measure things that, that they find uh, and that people tell them, measure them against the Word of God. That's what we've got to do. We've got to equip them. That's the way, primarily, that we prepare ourselves and our children for the future. Are we doing that? I pray that you're doing that. We talked about last time the, how important it is to 
to uh, undergo the spiritual disciplines, these 12 disciplines that, that, uh, uh, that, the, that the old um, Quaker uh, writer talked about. And we, we pray that you are employing those disciplines. They're all in your, in your study notes that are in your show notes and in your uh, links to the, to the notes here. They're all in there. But studying the Word of God, I mean, we study it, we read it, we study it, we, we look at what it means to us, we begin to memorize it and then meditate upon it because we know what Psalm, uh, the first Psalm, verse 2, that, uh, that our delight is in the law of the Lord and in, in His law we meditate day and night. We're going to be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth it's fruit in its season. It's, we, its leaf never withers, and whatsoever we do will prosper in kingdom prosperity. And that's what we want to be, be. We want to be prosperous. We want to be profitable for our Lord and Master and, and Heavenly Father, don't we? So he says, you continue in these things. You learned them as a, as a child. Don't lose that. He says, you, you keep picking that up. And reviewing it. Make that a part of your daily routine. First thing, you spend time with God. You spend time in His Word. Spend time communicating with Him. And that will that will arm you and prepare you for the onslaught of evil and false teachers that are coming. He says, from childhood you've, you've known the sacred writings. Uh, again, that's the, the Law of Moses and the Psalms and the Prophets and the, and the writings, the Holy Writings, the Wisdom Literature. Your, your mother and your grandmother taught you those things. Yes, he had a Gentile father, but we know that his mother and his grandmother steeped him in the Word of God. And, and moms, grandmas, dads, grandpas, that's what we need to be doing with our children and grandchildren. I've said before, perhaps on this venue, that uh, when our daughters, our two daughters that God blessed us with, when they were little bitty girls, little children, they learned their alphabet by memorizing scripture. A, all we like sheep have gone astray. B, be ye kind one to another. C, one of our favorites, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And and all these all these uh, wonderful verses that we memorized as not just them it wasn't something we made them do. They saw us do it too. Uh, my wife and I we memorized a hundred five scriptures a year for many years, building up the Word of God into our souls. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I sit here as an old 76-year-old man telling you that that was one of the most fruitful and profitable activities that we decided to engage in on a consistent basis. And it's, it's borne fruit even to this day. So you study those sacred writings and, and Paul says, this is what you get for them. It's not literature. It's not just worldly wisdom. No, no. Uh, sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom 
And, and not just the wisdom that stands by itself, but the wisdom that leads to salvation. Again, not in and of itself, but it leads you to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, like Jesus said, you study the Scriptures, and then in them they speak of me, he said. He was telling the Pharisees and the scribes, who were arrogant students of the word, not humble. They were those that uh, that uh, didn't understand. Be ye doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. They, they were self-deceived because they heard the word, they learned the word, they didn't practice the word. And, and so we have to be very careful that we have that our objective of learning God's word is to put it into practice in our lives. To put it out there into use. A nice shiny tool. A nice shiny sword. A nice clean uh, rifle or pistol is of no use unless you draw it and put it into practice. Right? That's what he has in mind. And then in the famous passage here, verses 16 and 17, that I love so dearly, he says, All Scripture." All Scripture is inspired by God, and you've, I'm sure, heard mean that uh, heard interpreted that that word translated inspired means God breathed. It's literally God breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for four things. Four things, my, fr my, my friends. It's profitable for doctrine, which is teaching principles of life and principles of truth. You've got to teach those. You've got to learn these principles. I was visiting with a grandson of mine yesterday at dinner and said, man, you, you know, this has got to form the foundation for what you're you're doing. He says, Grandpa, I think I'm, I'm uh, being led to be a teacher. I said, well, that could very well be. Could very well be. That's one of the primary activities of God's servants is to teach the Word. But that Word, the Word of Truth, that this world doesn't understand, that Word of Truth has got to be ingrained in your soul. And he and I have all these wonderful conversations about... Uh, Grandpa, what does this scripture mean? I said, well, let's take a look at it together. Let's back up and see what all the verses around it. What's the what's the book about? Who wrote it? Who did he write it to? Uh, what was the context of that? And just teaching him how to study and how to understand God's word. Uh, what a wonderful endeavor that is. And his mom and dad also do that very thing. And uh, he also has been exposed to the Word of God, his whole family, uh, from the time they were babies. I mean, uh, it's, and, and I just can't, I can't imagine what God's going to do with that bunch of kids because they are bathed and seeped and immersed in Scripture. It's profitable for four things, for doctrine or for teaching. And that's, again, uh, articulating the truth, the principles of life and the principles of truth. It's profitable for reproof. Uh, this is really a an act of the Holy Spirit using the Word uh, 
But the Holy Spirit can also uh, take the Word of God and He can say, all right, look at this brother or look at this sister over here. Look at what they're... Uh, lifestyle is. Look at what they're doing. Some of the decisions they're making. Uh, they need to be corrected in that. They need to be brought up short. And we, what we do is says, hey, uh, I want to always be able to give a good report about you, but I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Or why did you say that? Why did you, you know, tell me the background here. What, what happened here? Uh, you know that doesn't line up with, with God's word right? That's reproof. Uh, showing someone how their activities, their doctrine, their, their uh, attitude even, their behavior, their lifestyle does not line up with uh, what God's Word says. And then it's profitable for correction, for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Look, this is the way we should do. This is the way we should think. This is the way we ought to uh, conduct our relationships with other people. Uh, this is what God's Word says. And then finally, it says the fourth thing that's profitable for us is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and then finally for instruction in righteousness. You know, this is really uh, the, the definition of discipline. It's training for righteous living. And that's what the you do. What do you do with that? Well, you you base all that training on God's word, on the wisdom you get from Him through His word. It's for training in righteousness, so that the the man or the woman, the boy or the girl that belongs to God may be adequate. You're lacking nothing. You're fully equipped for every good work. Of course, this reminds us of Ephesians 2.10, doesn't it? Uh, where it says, uh, you know, 8, 9, and 10, where it says, for, for us by faith you are saved, uh, by grace you are saved through faith and not, not of yourself. Left, It is the gift of God left anybody should boast. For we are His workmanship, His masterpiece, His craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the very purpose of good works which He has prepared beforehand. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He said, we are His workmanship that He has he is designed and crafted us. Makes me feel like a masterpiece. Now, I look in the mirror or look at a picture, I said, man, that's, I wouldn't call that a masterpiece, but he does, so I can't argue with him. says, man, I, you are some of my best work. Uh, well, I better be more cooperative with him so that that work can, can bear more fruit. I know he's prepared uh, a good path, life path for me. I know he's prepared good, good works for me to do for him, to glorify him. So I better prepare myself. I better, uh, I better attend to the Word of God. You know, there are so many scriptures that deal with God's Word. And I'm just going to rehearse a few of those with you right now uh, as we near the end of this session. First of all, uh, you know, this is not a New Testament or a new concept. Look at Isaiah's prophecy. And you're gonna have, you're gonna need to jot these scripture references down because they're not in your study notes. 
Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, it says, The voice, a voice, that's God's voice, calls out, says, Call out. He then he answered, What shall I call out? This is God talking to Isaiah. Then he answered, What shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely people are as grass. Had an old drill instructor says, Trainee, you are grass and I am a lawnmower. I'm about to cut you down. So, pretty stern warnings there, but the, the Word of God says that very thing. All people, don't you get thinking that you're, you're an island unto yourself, a mountain that should not be moved. You're not. God sees you and you say, you're just grass. And I and my, I don't even have to get out my lawnmower and start it up. I just blow on you and you weather. And then Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, the word of our God stands forever. Then he says further on in the prophecy in chapter 55, starting in verse 9, he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and, and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so in the same manner, my word, which will go forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word is not just thrown out there at random. It's purposeful, and it's directed. It's aimed straight at your heart, and straight at my heart. Oh, my, my, my friend, the Word of God. We, we throw it out there and we say, well, it, had no, it did no good. It didn't take any root. Well, you go study this parable of the sower, the seed and the sower. See what the Lord has to say about that. Psalm 119, the whole 176 verses speak of God's Word. All 22 stances of eight verses each. They all speak of God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 11, Your Word have I treasured in my heart so that I may not sin against you. How do we know what sin is? Well, for one thing, we have a conscience. Second thing, we have the Holy Spirit. But the most important thing is knowing the Word of God. Because this world is going to give you shifting sands of what it calls truth. It says, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. My friends, if it's true, it's true. Yeah, it's it's uh, not respective of the circumstances, the culture, uh, the society, the time. No, it's timeless. 
Psalm 119, verse 105, another of our favorite ones that we've memorized and meditated on in the, in the past. It says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the old days, I'm told that uh, they would put little lamps, perhaps candles that are shielded, uh, on their feet so that they all they could see is the step in front of them. And sometimes we, we want God to tell us, well, tell me what the whole plan is. He says, no, there's several reasons for me not to do that. But number one, you have to learn to trust me for the next step. What What's going to happen next? That's what you trust me for. And so it's a light. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's going to show you whether you're on the right path or not. Because we want to be we want to be hiking the Jesus Trail all the time. All the time. Okay, remember back in uh, Isaiah 40, he says, uh, the word of our God stands forever. And he says, my word, which goes forth from my mouth, will not return from me empty. Well, look at what the New Testament says about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Lagos, the very thoughts of God. You remember where he says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways? Yep. His thoughts, his Lagos, his reasoning, his, his expressed will or made manifest in a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, say, he says that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. The Word, my friends, still is God. And in John chapter 6, the Pharisees were arguing with him and then saying, Hey, we have the law of Moses. We have the sacred writings. Who do you think you are? And, and they, they give us life. We have life in the law of Moses. And Jesus says, you're so wrong. In fact, you are dead wrong. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. Not, and he said, the Spirit who gives life. Notice that pronoun, who. Not that or which. He's talking about a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. The flesh profits nothing. We saw that back in Isaiah. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Now let me just take a slight... I hope I can make it brief diversion here by by saying, okay, the the Greek word that Jesus used is the word here where he says the words that I have spoken to you. It's the it's the Greek word rhema. It is the spoken word, the spoken word. Logos is refers to the written word most often. Rhema refers to the preached or the spoken word. Both of them have equal authority if they come from God. And certainly Jesus' words came from God. How do you think that the disciples remembered everything that Jesus said 
and, and recorded them, wrote them down for us. How do you think that happened? Well, it was, the, it was an activity and a gift of God's Holy Spirit. He caused them to remember what Jesus said. And then they turned that rhema that he said, the words that he said, and it, they became lagos. They wrote them down as holy writings. My friends, that's why we can trust the Scripture. Because these, these Scriptures are recording the very words of Christ. <clears throat> the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, one of, another one of my favorite uh, bedrock or cornerstone Scriptures. Hebrews 4, 12. He says, For the Word of God is alive and it's active, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Get that? Sword of the Spirit? The Word of God is alive. It's not just literature laying there on the printed page. It is living. And it be why? Because it it captures and articulates the thoughts and intentions of God. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to design, divide between the joints and the marrow, which is what a sword would do, even between the soul and the spirit. The soul is your mind, your intellect, your, your will, and your emotions, and then your spirit is that aspect of a human being that God has given us so we can have a personal, intimate Loving family relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator. So it divides, the Word of God divides between mere philosophy or literature or men's ideas and spiritual truth. And there is nothing hidden from its sight. I didn't finish that. Uh, it's is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, uh, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. One thing I very seldom can do is trust my motives. Why? Because my human motives are going to drive me to do things for myself. Oh, we can't do that. We can't be doing that. New, new, new. We gotta we gotta trust God's word, and so His word will illuminate our motives, the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And then verse thirteen says, "And there is no creature, no created thing hidden from His sight. His sight, not its sight, but His sight." So, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the the written word of God? Well, yes, but we're really talking about the living word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself the very expression of the will and intention and person of God, the Father. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, how do we prepare for, this, for the future? Uh, there's much preparation that we have to do, but don't, Leave this study without camping out on the sharpening your sword. Sharpening your sword. 
Get into the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Meditate upon it. Personalize it. Visualize it. Make it real. Make it personal. Engraft it into your very thought processes. And my friends, we can be prepared for whatever the enemy wants to throw at us. That's God's Word. That's His truth. Pray with me. Father, I just thank You for the truth of Your Holy Word. I thank You for the power of Your Spirit that You release as we consider these things and as we practice Your presence and Your your sovereignty and Your love as as we communicate Your love and reality and sovereignty to those around us as we teach these things to our children, our grandchildren, our family, our neighbors, our best friends. Oh Lord, all those relationships need to be founded on Your Word and in Your Spirit. Now Lord, thank You for letting us do all this. I pray that You take our feeble efforts here and turn them into pure gold for Yourself to bring Yourself much honor and much glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you and give you His peace. Amen.